This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. Welcome to After the Buzzer. Today we have a guest who has a very interesting job, Director of Security for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. His name is Phil Melcher. Phil, who has 35 years of experience in security, law enforcement, military, and intelligence, and in his role with the Cardinals, is responsible for all public safety and security at Bush Stadium, including the protection of all Cardinal players, employees, and fans. Although normally I don't read someone's bio as an introduction, Phil's career history is so interesting and serves as such a backdrop for what he's doing now, I wanted to share it with you. Phil started his career as a New York City police officer before joining the Army in 1984 and the Special Forces, the Green Berets, in 1991, where he served as a medical and operations specialist. He conducted and participated in over 25 missions in South America in support of U.S. counter-narcotics, counter-terrorism, and counter-insurgency efforts. While in the Special Forces, Phil served as a sergeant major for an international peacekeeping operation, Operation Safe Border. He was the primary Special Force liaison and advisor for the U.S. military forces in South America. He retired from the Army and Special Forces in 2004 after 20-plus years of service. Phil has taught at the DEA Academy in Quantico and at Webster University. He has worked at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency as a Chief of Security Operations West. At NGA, Phil authored the NGA Incident Response Plan, Security Guidance for Protection of Classified and Sensitive Information, and numerous other security policies. Phil is a certified protection professionalist and a certified anti-terrorism specialist. He holds two bachelor degrees from Regents and Campbell University and a master's degree from Webster in business and organizational security management. We thank Phil for his service and as a sports fan are appreciative that he is looking out for us still. It is with my pleasure to welcome Phil to After the Buzzer. Welcome, Phil. Thank Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Right. I mean, as as I said, I wouldn't normally just read somebody's intro, but your your career and the things that you have done in in, uh, in service for this nation is so special that I I just think that people should should see that. And you know, it's trite sometimes when we all say thank you for your service, but uh, we can really mean it and say thank you for your service for all that you've done to keep us safe and what you're continuing to do to keep uh, so many of St. Louis Cardinal fans safe. So tell us a little bit about your role at the Cardinals and and exactly what you do? As director of security, I also have the role of public safety. So um, it's a daily operation coordinating the different security elements, public safety elements such as the paramedics, fire safety, fire marshals, police, contract security officers, ushers and screeners, and making that all work and work together. I I sometimes call it kind of juggling chainsaws. Because it's uh, so many different moving parts that have to work together in order to make it work right, Uh, especially since we see, on average, over the past several years, if you look at our attendance, it's between 3.4 
board 3.5 million uh, guests coming to see baseball. So uh, making sure that it's a safe environment falls under my purview and and making sure it's a secure environment, uh, a fan-friendly and family-friendly environment, you know, is extremely important to what we want to accomplish every day for our guests. And then there's also baseball <laughs> thrown into that. So it all works together. Right. So, you know, as I said, your background is just so impressive. But how is what you did in your previous 30-plus years in security and, and counterterrorism and all that, how does that help prepare you for this job? Um, I think the biggest aspect is just my approach to protecting the stadium, the way I look at the stadium, the way I look at risk, and the way I look at vulnerabilities. I don't look at it from what do I have to protect. I look at it from the bad guy's perspective of how would I attack it? How would I target Bush Stadium? How would I target the guests at Bush Stadium? How would I target the team and uh, work from that angle and then develop my plans based on that? Because of my background as a special forces guy and a, as a police officer and in, in the intelligence world, I think it's extremely important that you take that kind of an approach because I think you kind of cut yourself short only looking at it from the inside out. And you miss things because you're not looking at it from the adversarial standpoint. So for me, that's really, really important. And the important perspective that my background gives me in looking at these kinds of things. So, you know, making sure that my risk assessments are based on that kind of a perspective gives me, I think, more insight and better prepares me to be proactive as opposed to reactive. You know, the old adage with counterterrorism or anti-terrorism is we have to be right 100% of the time. They only have to be right once. And it's training and preparing for those one-offs, never being satisfied with where you're at, constantly looking at continuous improvement and how do we get better. So there's never a time where you go... You can breathe. All right, we're set. We're good for a while. No, threats change. Situations change. The world changes. You know, different groups pop up. You know, different situations pop up. And it could be anything from terrorist actions or that lone wolf that you have to worry about nowadays. Or it could be social unrest that causes, you know, just the local area to kind of erupt a little bit and creates a new situation that could be terrorist-like or something like that, but, you know, isn't terrorism per se. I was at the Rams in 2001 when uh, 9-11 happened, and the world just changed just so much uh, after that. And, and, and really, in terms of these kind of huge events, and and, and, I've, and luckily, we've been very lucky in, in the United States that we haven't had an attack on a large stadium because it's such a inviting target from the point of view that uh, there are a lot of people there, and if something bad happens, it's going to get a lot of coverage. We really kind of appreciate uh, what you guys are doing, but how has it changed since 9-11 to where we have now? Have you seen a sort of a shift in the way you kind of approach things? Well, I think you have to kind of adapt to what's going on in the world. I mean, depending on whether it's a terrorist act or whether it's a different kind of active shooter process or or attack that happens, you know, things like Las Vegas and what occurred there. I mean, that's an active shooter with standoff from, from the location. So it's all kinds of different things 
that you kind of incorporate into your process. Those are the things that make you relook, okay, what are we doing to kind of mitigate this? What are we doing to eliminate that risk or that threat? Or to kind of better handle that risk and that, or do we have a vulnerability there that we need to deal with immediately because of this being a real threat? So I think, you know, if you're looking strictly at what happened on 9-11, that's a real unifocal way to look at it. You have to look at it from a holistic perspective, which is why our process here you know, and my perspective is security doesn't just end at our sidewalks. We have to make it a more downtown approach, a broader approach. I have to be working with our business neighbors and they have to know me and be able to pick up the phone and go, hey, what are you guys hearing? What are you guys doing? And vice versa. I, you know, if I want to make sure that nobody's going to shoot into my stadium from a high rise building, I have to know what processes they have in place to protect against that? What are the measures they have to protect against that? What kind of access does somebody have to the sides of the building to face the stadium or the rooftops or something like that? As all of those things evolve, you see people using vehicles as the weapon where they don't have to get into a plane. They don't have to buy, you know, fertilizer. They can just rent a truck and ram into a crowd of people. You know, are we proactively protecting against those kinds of things? And absolutely, all of that comes into play every single day in what we do here um, at the stadium. Right. I was going to ask you, Phil, what keeps you up at night? But you've just given me two or three things that keep me up at night. One is uh, someone with a truck that just decides to ram into a crowd or ram into a building. Uh, the whole active shooter problem that we now have uh, is one that is frightening. Uh, you could, I mean, I was went to Walmart. This was right after the shootings there. And I said, you know, right. after I walked out, I began to say, you know, this is Walmart safe, uh, especially in this state where we have an open carry. Uh, how do you guys deal with that? I mean, I know you have signs that say no weapons allowed in, in this building. Uh, right. Has anybody tried to challenge that yet? Back a couple of years ago when there was some protests and social unrest and stuff like that going on in, in St. Louis in general, um, we saw some protesters show up here open carrying rifles and pistols and things like that and trying to protest on our property with those weapons and and basically menacing the guests that were showing up at the stadium. So we, by city ordinance, control Clark Street. And when we close it, it becomes private property. So we basically encapsulated the area by making the entire area gun-free. So any of those people that were open and carrying, things of that nature, we could prevent from coming in. And plus, our police presence is pretty strong. We utilize St. Louis City, St. Louis County, and we actually have uh, quick response teams like SWAT teams on site every single event and every single game. So it's critical to have that kind of presence, to have that kind of deterrent visibility on hand all the time. So to a certain extent, we have an advantage and a certain degree of deterrence in that because somebody trying to make a statement and things like that is wants to make the statement, but they also want to have some impact and don't want to be deterred immediately upon initiation. So does it make it foolproof? No. And I don't think anything does. So, you know, that that's one of the things that does keep me up at night is that nothing nothing is foolproof. And, and you try and you do the best you can. 
Um, but it's unrealistic to say that you can do away with 100% of risk or 100% of what could happen out there because, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's some things in the world and there's people that are just determined to do bad things. So you have to be kind of try to prepare for all of it and be ready to have a plan to react to all of it. One of the things I haven't mentioned that kind of keeps me up at night that is is drones. Uh, being an open-air stadium, you know, drones have a different capability and have been a regularly used delivery mechanism for bad guys around the world. And so that's something uh, that is on my radar all the time, no pun intended. So it's an important thing that we're doing and we've been involved with on counter-drone measures, counter-drone legislation. We actually were working with the Senate Homeland Security Committee and Senator McCaskill a couple of years ago on the rewrite for the uh, FAA Authorization Act and trying to get some more controls or authorizations for us to intervene when it came to a drone incursion. Because those things, whether malicious or not, can pose a threat to what we do here. Well, I did a little work on some drone issues back then. Uh, Haven't they made it a little easier? Have they made your job harder by relaxing some of the regulations on, on drone usage? Um, it, it's a bit of both. Uh, yeah, they've made it harder for us to do it, but they've, they've also made it – they've expanded some of the authorities for drone intervention to the Department of Homeland Security and Department of Justice, under that being the FBI and Department and, uh, and some of those entities. And we partner with them and have a very good relationship with all of the law enforcement, whether it's federal, state, local – entities here and in partnering with them and trying to come up with different strategies where we can perhaps utilize their authorities to intervene on our behalf. And 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 that's kind of the direction we've been trying to go in. And uh, so far, it's been productive. But unfortunately, and, you know, having spent as much time as I have in the federal government, um, the process is unfortunately slow and very incremental. And, and entities, federal entities tend to be very um, even though the authorities are there, they're slow to implement how they're going to use those authorities or even write the guidelines on how those authorities will be used. So that's we're kind of in a holding pattern there and waiting on those entities to make that happen. In the meantime, I, you know, I hope and I pray every single day that something doesn't happen that forces everyone's hand to change the pace of how we're implementing these protections. And and even in the local governments, things don't sure. happen. And you and you mentioned that you use some St. Louis uh, city police, you use St. Louis county police. Uh, talk about how you try to coordinate all the various law enforcement and and, and first responder groups to make sure that the stadium and the and the patrons stay safe. So when I first got the job here, a lot of that was already in place. What was extremely important for me to do was not to change things that were working well already, but to just enhance those relationships, enhance those partnerships, and make sure that they felt that they were part of our organization, not just some partner that's coming in from outside and they're kind of here, but they're not really with us. And so that that mindset for me is extremely important because with my background as a team guy, being on an, uh, on a special forces A team for over 10 years, my mentality is very much a team mentality, which works in sports. 
coincidentally. So making sure that we approach it as a team, that everybody works together, everybody communicates. There's no stovepiping information. Information is shared. You know, there's none of that mentality of, oh, don't touch my part of the pie. Don't touch this. Don't touch it. We have a shared goal, shared mission. And the more we're cooperating, the better. The more they feel like they're part of our team and part of the Cardinals, not just somebody coming in here to provide a service, the more buy-in we have from all these partners and making it work every single day. Um, as an example, last year alone, we treated over 3,300 people with either injuries, sickness, heart attacks, hit by a foul ball, whatever, slip and falls at the stadium in 81 games, 3,300 people. That's quite a wow. bit. That is and, quite a bit. <laughs> and, you know, dealing with all of that and dealing with not just the the injury itself, but doing the follow-up and, you know, dealing with potential issues of liability, because I see that as something also within my purview, even as a security director, managing that kind of risk and managing that kind of liability and protecting the organization from that. So, you know, we've instituted digital reporting and digital report writing and making that much more consistent. And hiring people that have a background in liability and insurance and things like that, that can help us do those reports and write those reports on the spot, do the interviews, take pictures on the spot to help protect us and, and, and insulate us a lot better. Where we have an issue where somebody was injured, we have to take care of them. You know, we're going to do the right thing because that's the kind of an organization that we are. Right. So how many people do you have on your staff that you report to you to, to do all? It sounds like, you know... It's mind-boggling not only taking care of three and a half million people a year, but right. you know all the surrounding areas. I mean, now you have Ballpark Village. There, there are sure. probably millions of people going to Ballpark Village that aren't going to the game. So on top of the three and a half million, you probably got another million people that are just in and out of that facility. Uh, Absolutely. How big is your staff to deal with this? So my year-round staff to deal with this. So I have a 24-7 contract security staff that works here at the stadium uh, that monitors the stadium, protects the stadium uh, when there's an event, when nobody's here. Like I said, 24-7, 365, that's about 25 officers. Um, as far as Cardinal employees proper, it's me and two other people. Um, then on event days, managing all of those different parts. And there's there's different areas that there's a lot of crossover in what we do. Because while I don't directly supervise the people that are screening at the gates, I train them and I have input into what they're doing. So while they're not my employees per se, they are fulfilling security roles that I have to oversee. So... I would say on any given game day, you're talking probably close to 600 people wow. that, are, wow. that are involved in security or security role or public safety role from one event to the next. It's just making sure that that's all working together and that you're looking at all the different parts of it. So there isn't one single day where I'm sitting at my desk during an event. I'm always out and about. I'm always walking around. I'm always kind of trying to help people do things better and do things smarter and, you know, the old adage, it's smarter, not harder, and to do things in an intelligent way so that we're better protected so our, it's safer for our staff, it's safer for everybody. On any given game day, we have over 2,500 employees here. Hmm. 
So mm-hmm. while we're looking at, you know, let's say the attendance is 45,000, 46,000, 47,000, we've, we've also got, in addition to that, another 2,500 employees that we also have to keep safe. And that doesn't count the players and their staff that are on the field, in the dugouts, in the clubhouses, and making sure that they're taking care of. You know, so there's multiple, multiple facets and and layers of this that have to be looked at every single day. We're doing, you know, we look at the perimeter every single day. We walk the perimeter every single day. We utilize explosive detection canines here at the stadium every single day. We screen everything that comes into the stadium. We take all of these different measures to protect us on multiple levels, both game days, non-game days, everything to make sure that the stadium is safe for everybody that comes in here. One of the big challenges in in sports is, professionals in particular, there's alcohol, there's lots of people, there's emotion. Is there a difference between a night game and a day game in, in the way you sort of look at that, approach it? Are you more cautious during night? Um. I don't think so. I mean, I kind of take them, you know, as they are. And different teams have a different caliber of fan base um, as far as aggressiveness, as far as attitude, things of that nature. Um, you know, so we have to take those kinds of things in, into account. Day game versus night game, you know, it, it just depends. I mean, a night game during the week, most of the people are coming from work, so they're not coming here necessarily – having already drunk, depending on what it is or something like that. There's no real way to kind of profile that in any any specific way. So I have pretty much a general approach to both in, in that, uh, you know, day games, we tend to have less incidents. But, you know, in some instances, you know, if the, if the crowd is down a little bit or there's less people in the stadium, sometimes those, those have the potential for having greater incidents. I don't know why, but they just do, you know. And, and, and like I said, sometimes the fan base from the opposing team and the attitude that they're coming in with or the pressure of the game or attitudes or, you know, you, you, you try to anticipate certain things and make sure that you have uh, the measures in place to head it off before it happens. So, you, Phil, you can say it, that when the Cub fans come here, you have more incidents than when some other <laughs> more well-behaved group comes than, than the people from Chicago. You're much more – you're, you're too, too politic to say that. I said it for you. Uh, well, yeah. I'm not, I don't call them out because, you know, here, here's, <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Uh, you know, so I work with all of my partners throughout Major League Baseball, all the other directors of security, people that work in stadium operations. We have a great cooperative way of dealing with issues, identifying issues, and handling them together because we look at it realistically. If somebody hurts one of our clubs, it's going to hurt all of baseball. So from that standpoint, we work together. So there's really no animosity between me and my partners that are doing the same job at the Cubs. So I have a great relationship with the Cubs organization and the guys up there. Um, Now, I would say that some of the fans that come down have a different kind of attitude, and I know that they're aware of it too. And in fact, there have been incidents where, you know, I've gotten a heads up from a visiting team's front office going, hey, one of our big fan groups is coming down. You might want to keep an eye on them. So, I mean, it's it's a very insightful group that works together and, and really tries to, you know, not – 
profile groups because, look, there's great fans with every team. And I would say with every team, you're going to have a couple of knuckleheads that are going to do the wrong thing or, you know, younger groups or even older groups groups of guys, you know, that are going to drink too much and do something silly. So, you know, if we see somebody that's obviously impaired as they're coming in, we won't let them in. And does it get them upset? Sure it does. Do they want a reimbursement on their ticket? Sure they do, but they're not getting it because if they show up and they can hardly stand, we're not going to let them in the stadium because it's obviously going to be an issue for the guests around them. We want to make sure that it's a good experience for everybody and at the same time, keeping it safe. St. Louis is known for having the best baseball fans in the country. So that's the good news. You know, and they really appreciate their baseball. They're polite for the most part. They clap at the right times and do that. But as you talk to your colleagues across the country, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's New York or Philadelphia, or one of, what kind of differences do, do they see? And when, you're, when they're telling you about some of their experiences, do you say, God, we don't have to deal with that? Are there any that, that jump out at you? I can honestly say that every other team that I talk to always compliments our fans, and they always say how well the Cardinal fans travel. And uh, it's almost like an invasion into their stadium, and it's not necessarily groups or fan groups or anything like that. It's just Cardinal fans all over the place because of the team and because, you know, for a long time the Cardinals were – you know, up until 1957, the furthest West team in the country. There were no L.A. teams. There were no California teams. There was no Arizona teams. You know, the Cardinals, a much larger regional fan base. And even in places like New York and on the East Coast and Florida and places, the Cardinals have such a great fan base and such a great draw that our fans are seen everywhere. You know, There are different things that are tolerated at different stadiums from a behavioral standpoint. I mean, cities are different culturally. You know, I was born and raised in New York City. So, you know, going to Yankee Stadium, going to Shea Stadium back when I lived there, it was a different times and different environment in those stadiums. I mean, the Cardinal fans, for the most part, aren't like that. Do you have one or two one-offs here and there that – that kind of are different, sure, you know, and I, th- I would say that that exists with every team. So I, I hate to categorize any group of fans, but, you know, culturally they're different because the cities are different. Right. Where are you from in New York? I'm from New York. I used to go to a lot of Shea Stadium, took the seven train to Shea Stadium. Yep. So I was born and raised in, in Queens, lived in the Bronx for a little bit, but mostly Queens. Okay. I lived in Queens in Jamaica. Uh, okay. I went to Jamaica High School. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, I'm a graduate of Jamaica High School, so in 1980. Okay. Yeah, my parents still live there. Okay, great, great. So let me ask you a question. The playoffs coming up, congratulations on you guys making the playoffs. That's wonderful. It's it's great for the city. It's great for the organization. It is. I'm sure sure everybody's in a good mood over at Bush Stadium uh, the last few days. Mm -hmm. Is there any difference that you'll see in the playoffs than the regular season, or do you just kind of continue what you're doing because it's worked? Um. Anytime an event becomes more national, with greater national implications, with greater national attention, I think it draws more scrutiny 
from a protective standpoint, from a threat standpoint. And so, you know, as we get closer to like the NLCS, the World Series, things of that nature, absolutely, you know, our posture will change. I don't think it's going to impact the fans and the guests that come to the stadium because what we do and what we have in place already is, is a good model. You know, there may be other things that occur behind the scenes that we will take additional precautions because of the more national implications. I mean, you think about what what's something that represents the country, you know, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, all those things that people think, oh, this is representative of the U.S. and America and everything else. You know, baseball is iconic in that respect. And, and when you get to those kinds of events, absolutely, there's going to be more scrutiny. Absolutely, we're going to do a different kind of a risk assessment for those type of events. And we'll bring in outside support and other entities to assist in protecting those kinds of events because of the attention that they draw. Do you sometimes have to say to Major League Baseball, we don't quite have to worry about this in this town as opposed to what you might have to worry about in some other town? And, and, and you know, them coming in sort of like the helicopter parent saying, we need to do this. I'm not a reactionary kind of guy. I don't like doing things for the sake of doing things or changing things for the sake of changing things. I think change is a good thing, but it's got to be a productive change and there's got to be a good reason to make it happen. So, and I, and I really, like I said, I get along with my MLB counterparts and, and while they do have oversight for the league and things like that, and they actually, Major League Baseball sets guidelines on what the minimum security posture is for any stadium in Major League Baseball. And those are written guidelines that we follow, but something that I've lived by for a long time, something when I was chief instructor at the Special Operations Medical Course, and that is you never maximize the minimum standard. You know, if your passing grade is a 70 and you're shooting for a 71, that doesn't give you a lot of room for error there. And and that's an organizational thing with the Cardinals. We're always trying to be above, you know, higher quality, excellence, outstanding achievements. And and that's what we shoot for as an organization, not just on the playing field, but as a front office, as a, as a team. That's why our field is the best field in Major League Baseball. And I'm probably going to hurt some feelings with that, but our guys do an amazing job on the field here. Understanding that excellence is always our goal. You know, and I think that's hugely important. So, you know, I I don't worry too much about other people coming in. You know, we're doing a lot of great things already. And if we're going to add on and and complement that based on the situation, because it's a more national event, I get it. And in some ways, would it be a threat in a normal day? No, it might not be. But because of the implications of the national perspective of the event, because it's a broader event, because it's on national TV, because... Sure, there's going to be more attention to it, which makes it more of a target. So let me ask you, you're giving a speech to the fans, Phil. What could they do to make the environment safer? If you're saying, this is what we need you guys to do, what piece of advice would you say? What direction Um, would you give? Well, I mean, some of the things that we do from a security perspective are also to facilitate fans getting into the stadium quicker so they're not standing out in groups and in in long lines waiting. 
basically kind of gathered together as a target. I mean, we were the first team in Major League Baseball to institute a no backpack policy. Backpacks, multiple pockets, multiple pouches, it's easier to conceal a weapon or contraband in, in those bags. Plus, it takes longer to search. So from that perspective, not bringing these big backpacks to the stadium is a big, big thing. Because number one, yeah, from a bad guy perspective, it gives them a greater advantage to conceal something and bring something in. Even components for a long gun or something like that could be snuck in in a, in, in a backpack. But it's also going to help with the fan experience because they're not going to be out in line. They're not going to be waiting in the sun. They're not going to be waiting in the rain. They're going to get in a lot faster, which when you're dealing with the second largest attendance base in baseball, getting into a stadium, waiting in line is an important thing. You know, so right. we try and facilitate that as well. Plus, you know, like I said, the other part of that, they're less of a target if they're if they're not in line as long. And we don't want them upset. We want them happy when they come in. We want that experience to be as seamless and as easy as possible. You know, if you're a concealed carry permit holder, yeah, there's nothing I can do about that. Can't bring the firearms in. Off-duty police officers, we facilitate off-duty police officers because they have a responsibility to act and a duty to carry 24-7. So we facilitate those kinds of things. But, you know, it's all of these different things that I think make the fan experience better. You know, allowing them to bring in some drinks, some food, making sure that those things are factory sealed. You know, at one point we, we used to restrict, you know, we had cups, you know, like the Tervis mugs or things like that that were banned uh, as a prohibited item. And we kind of looked at it and went, well, why are they banned? And people went, um, I don't know. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it didn't make sense to have those on the list. So we kind of took those. So it's not, it, we're not looking at banning everything, you know, because that's going to impact the guest experience as well. Well, this might not be the fun part of it, but tell me, how do you help the players? How do you, how do you provide security for them? Uh, that's the glamorous part. Might not be, might be the hardest part. What do you do for those guys? Number one, I love our players. They're a great, a great bunch of people, and uh, the staff in the clubhouse is just—they're—they're—they're they're, they're just awesome people to work with. And you know, when we're dealing with each other, there's no ego. There's no—you know—they're down-to-earth people, and I think that's a very positive statement for our organization. Um, you know, they understand that there are things out there that, are, that aren't safe, and they appreciate the fact that we look after them, we look after their families, we make sure that every. Everybody getting into the stadium is getting in safely and that their areas are secure. The clubhouse is secure. The back parking lot where their vehicles are are secure. You know, that their families are getting in okay. You know, that they're taken care of when they're in the stands. You know, those are all important things. So dealing with them is like dealing with anybody else. They're, they're, they're real people and, you know, they have the same concerns that anybody else does about safety and security. Now they're more public, which means that they're more in the limelight and more of a target. And I mean, you know, players have gotten hate mail and, you know, social media that's been pretty vicious on some occasions. And those are things that, that, that I monitor and we keep track of. Is it more glamorous? Yeah. Is it neat that, yeah, I get to hang out with the players or be in the dugout and be at an event that they're at? Sure. But, uh, you know, it's the idea of their people 
and they're people with a very high profile, and it's just making sure that they're not going to be hurt, injured, or impacted by some other type of issue because they're susceptible to different types of things, different targeted types of attacks or accusations and things like that. So you have to really be careful, you know, and I try to handle that holistically as well. So my last question for you is uh, everybody's uh, now talking about cyber attacks. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is that a concern of yours, too? People trying to break into your system, hack into your system? And I'm not talking about on the baseball side. I'm talking about on the security side. They say that the only organization that hasn't been hacked is the people that don't know they've been hacked already. You know, so, <laughs> you know, so every organization, I would say every organization, every business gets targeted in one way, shape, or form through cyber attacks, phishing attacks, all kinds of things. Happens all the time. Would that be in my purview? It could be. But when it comes to the Cardinals and the Cardinals organization, we probably have one of the best cyber guys in the business that works here. He's phenomenal. So it, it, it's a big thing off of my plate that I don't have to deal with that. There's an IT department that does an amazing job here at the stadium. And uh, the guy is just, uh, he, I have no qualms in saying he's the best in the business because I really feel that he is. And with my background in information protection and in intelligence organizations and program protection and protection of information and and teaching in a cyber master's program with Webster University, you know, uh, I get it. I understand not only the risks and the threats there from cyber and through our email and our servers and everything else that we have here. But, you know, I have a great peace of mind because of the team that we have in place, because of the multi-layered protections we have in place, the monitoring we have in place, all of these different things that that really go to protecting our network and uh, that is done on such a proactive basis and such a thorough basis. Is it something I think about? Yeah, but I think we have a really good structure in place. Well, Phil Melcher, I, I really appreciate I, I think – People who will listen to this podcast will know that you can feel safe going to a Cardinal baseball game. That uh, with you in charge of, of their security, they're in great shape. I learned a lot about what was going on. I hope people who listen to this podcast will learn a lot. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, good luck in the playoffs. St. Louis would love to bring a, another World Championship here to go along with our recent Stanley Cup. So we're all rooting for you, and best of luck to you. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, we have that saying of it's a one nation with the Cardinals and the Blues. So uh, I really appreciate that. So go Cardinals. Go Cardinals. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. So if you enjoyed listening to uh, Phil or any of our podcasts in the past, please let us know. You can provide feedback by going to Apple Podcasts and go to the ratings and review section for our podcast. If you are listening on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com and search for After the Buzzer to leave a review or comment. Of course, if there's a topic you would like to hear us discuss, let us know. We thank you for listening.